Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. I realised that liberty and democracy were minority interests, a bit like opera or bridge. Thank God for Sweden. Thank God for Florida and those places around the world, very few in number, which took a more balanced, more rational approach. There were imaginary short-term gains from doing this and terrible long-term damage. We can't avoid a pandemic, but we could have avoided this cancer catastrophe. And welcome once again to Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello. And me, Liam Halligan. And this is a landmark visit to Planet Normal co-pilot, part two of our lockdown special. We're marking the third anniversary of that infamous moment in March 2020, when then Prime Minister Boris Johnson first told us to stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. Last week, Alison, you and I shared our personal reflections three years on describing the abuse we took for speaking out about the collateral damage of lockdown and thanking the many thousands of Planet Normal listeners who wrote us messages of support. And you interviewed Anders Tegnell, of course, the epidemiologist who masterminded Sweden's voluntary and very limited lockdown measures, an approach internationally derided at the time, which, the record shows, resulted in far fewer excess deaths. In this second lockdown special, we won't be speaking much, will we, co-pilot? Difficult as that is to believe, (laughs) because we've asked seven lockdown heroes, distinguished previous guests of Planet Normal, to reboard the rockets of right thinking, this flying refuge of reasoned views. And we asked each of them three questions. How did they feel on March the 23rd, 2020, when lockdown was first announced? Has the collateral damage in their view, the impact on schools, physical and mental health, the broader economy and so on, been sufficiently recognised? And finally, how will future historians judge the UK's lockdown? That's right, co-pilot. We asked each of our seven guests the same three questions and we'll be hearing from each of them in turn. To start, our first lockdown hero appeared on Planet Normal in May 2021. Laura Dodsworth is an author, journalist and photographer who has been called a latter-day punchy Cassandra. (laughs) Laura made a huge contribution to the lockdown resistance, publishing a remarkable book, A State of Fear, How the UK Government Weaponized Fear During the COVID-19 Pandemic. An instant bestseller, State of Fear lifted the lid on how behavioural psychologists set out to ensure compliance with lockdown measures by, to borrow a phrase from Matt Hancock, frightening the pants off everyone. So how did Laura Dosworth feel in March 2020 when lockdown was first announced? I felt shock, first of all, just pure shock. And I had a fear response. My fear response, in a way, was to just freeze. And no doubt, partly, that's why I've written a book about fear. 
So although I was initially worried about the virus because there were so many unknowns, my fear was directed at the authoritarian approach. I felt disorientated that things I'd taken for granted, things I thought were real, were actually something of an illusion, like liberty, calm and rational thinking, my ability to go out and work and earn a living and respect for democracy. I realised that liberty and democracy were minority interests, a bit like opera or bridge. It turns out that threat obliterates a commitment to what we think of as the bedrocks of our society. And I remember being so disturbed by the emergency legislation, which was extremely draconian, that it, it literally kept me awake at night. There was talk in that time of solidarity and being in it together. But actually, the effect of the mask, the instructions not to hug, the inability to not see each other, the encouragements to complain and report rule breaking really drove people apart. And this is one of the things I objected to the most, that, that use of fear and shame and scapegoating and guilt really sickened me. It was plain wrong that psychologists recommended raising the level of personal threat. And then the government operationalised it and they operationalised it for months. I think it's created a mental health impact that's destroyed this generation. And we're not really going to be able to count the cost for years. I don't think we're anywhere close to acknowledging the collateral damage of lockdown. There's the damage to education and young people's mental health, broader physical and mental health problems and the economy. The thing is, we're nowhere near being able to count the costs. The economic damage is still only just being able to play out. And I think what you see happening at the moment is cognitive dissonance. There are people going on record saying, oh, we didn't mean to scare people or we didn't scare people. But the fact that people are even saying that shows that the pressure is building. I think that we're at a stage right now where people will do almost anything to deny the evidence of what they see. They, they want to deny the evidence of the harms. So there's a lot of doubling down. And Unfortunately, this is something that happens. It's like a form of cult thinking in a way because people are so committed to a narrative, it's quite hard to let go of it. So I think in terms of acknowledging the damage, we're a really long way off. One example of the cognitive dissonance that I'm talking about is that four of the advisors on Spy B have written an article in the British Medical Journal, which is basically an opportunity for them to say, it wasn't us that did it, it was the government that frightened people. We didn't recommend it, we'd never do that. Now, they very selectively quoted the Spy B minutes that state very clearly that they said that the level of personal threat had to be raised among those who were complacent. Of course, what those minutes never did, what they couldn't have done, what they don't acknowledge in this article, is how you would go about raising the sense of threat among those who are complacent. What the psychologists recommended and what the government did was operationalise fear to the whole population with messages like, don't kill granny. Basically, they put that fear, they put that shame and guilt on a whole generation of young people. But I think there's quite a lot of hope, even in articles like that at the moment, because what it shows is a defensiveness. People want to distance themselves from something which is increasingly over time, looking quite obviously to be ethically and morally the wrong thing to have done. I think it's so hard to say how people in the future are going to judge the UK's lockdown. I think one group of people we didn't hear enough from during the lockdown was the historians 
history takes time. It's going to take more than a generation's distance to summon up the honesty required to judge lockdown. For me, it's been a huge learning experience about human nature. I think I felt it in common with a lot of people as a kind of existential crisis because what we witnessed in real time was the mass evocation of fear and compliance. And that was done by leveraging human biases that we normally like to play down. We normally like to play down our confirmation bias towards authority and social norms and social approval. And what we saw was the state mercilessly leveraging those biases to make us follow lockdown rules. I think that's going to be a really difficult thing for people to face up to. And so I think the question isn't just how historians judge the UK's lockdown, but how everybody is going to be able to judge this time morally, but given the perspective of time. Pretty astonishing there, Alison, from Laura Dodsworth. So many of the buttons that she pressed in her book, which came out in mid-2021, have been completely vindicated by the lockdown files exposed by The Telegraph, revealing those WhatsApp messages that ministers were sending and the fact that her book has become a bestseller is in my view fully deserved it's worth saying that many lockdown heroes aren't appearing in this episode of planet normal of course purely for reasons of space we'll be hearing of course in future episodes from the likes of the epidemiologist shanetra gupta the professor of evidence-based medicine cole hennigan the campaigning publican adam brooks molly kingsley and the parents behind us for them lockdown heroes all But our next returning guest today is Lord David Frost, who resigned from the Cabinet in December 2021, of course, appearing on Planet Normal soon after. And Lord Frost's resignation did a lot to help convince the then Prime Minister to avoid cancelling yet another Christmas by renewing those strict lockdown measures. So how did David Frost feel three years ago when lockdown was first announced? I was like so many people in number 10 that March at home recovering from a bout of COVID. I'd never had a test, but I was short of breath, struggling to get upstairs, this kind of thing. So fairly clear what had happened. And I remember sitting at home and watching on the Prime Minister make this announcement and being genuinely incredulous. You know, we'd seen it happen in China, in Italy, in other places in Europe, but I simply could not believe that it was happening in Britain. And that remains my view for the next couple of years. There will be a hangover, medical, educational, economic, attitudinal, all that kind of thing. But I do think that it's important not to get bogged down in a debate about did the medical consequences outweigh the economic ones or the other way around. I think it's quite hard to define that while the pandemic is going on. And I think it's more important to re-establish the principle that it's wrong to lock people in their houses. You know, that should be the starting point. And the idea that you can come up with a trade-off that you can be confident of while this thing is happening seems unlikely to me. So that's the first thing. We need to get back to the principle. I think second, the biggest damage is probably going to be psychological attitudinal. I think people can recover from trauma. All history shows this. Terrible things have happened. But they need to have agency. They need to have power to do so. They need to be able to kind of control their own lives and get on with them. But I worry that the biggest impact from COVID is that people look to the government to do everything. 
and that view is there already but i think the pandemic reinforced it a sense of disempowerment lack of control over your own life and if people don't feel that then they're going to find it much much harder to recover last thing i think one of the really damaging effects is that the pandemic has normalized the idea that some things can't or should not be said we saw the informal control of social media of videos all this sort of thing and i think we are still living through that and we'll see it apply to other areas in future so I think the damage goes beyond the pure economic. It's going to be hard to assess. There's lots of informal, attitudinal, societal stuff that we will have to come to terms with in the next few years. I think, to be honest, they're going to see this as a moment of governmental overreach and of collective hysteria where we all went a little bit crazy and it's going to take us time to recover. I began my life studying medieval history at university and in, in the 14th century, through the plagues, there was this movement called the Flagellants, a bunch of people who went from town to town whipping themselves uh, in a belief that this would do something about the Black Death. And I could never quite understand how people could have thought that. But now, after the pandemic, I do understand it. People People engage in irrational actions to try and sort of deal with the problems that they're facing. And I now understand this instinct to do that, to turn upon scapegoats, to you know, reinforce the collective in these really damaging ways. And I think it will be seen as an episode rather like that. As for myself, I think I will never believe again it can't happen here. I think I've now learned that Anything can happen here if the conditions are right. And I hope we digest the consequences of that. David Frost wrote a very good recent column, Liam, in talking about how we've been infantilized by lockdown. I think we should also remind listeners, I think one of Planet Normal's proudest boasts is that David Frost and his wife, in fact, became keen listeners of Planet Normal and that some of the data that we were citing, David said, helped him to make the decision to leave the cabinet and to put the pressure on to not have that next Christmas lockdown. So I think that's our tiny footnote in history. That's right. He actually acknowledged that, didn't he, at the live Planet Normal debate that we had, one of our live events. I think that was in October 2020. And as with all these guests, you can hear their previous contributions to Planet Normal in our archive. Now, coming to our third hero of lockdown, one of Planet Normal's most valuable contributors has never appeared on the podcast, and we have never been able to reveal their name, strange but true. To avoid being sacked from a senior job in NHS England, this brave individual became known simply as George. Throughout the pandemic, George provided us with up-to-the-minute hospital data, which often contradicted alarmist claims made at the Downing Street briefings. George also taught us about nosocomial infections. There it is. <laughs> One of Alison's favourite words. <laughs> and the way that the number of hospital admissions could be inflated by counting patients who had not come in for treatment with COVID, but had merely tested positive. George, you're amazing. We couldn't have done it without you. Just to warn you, we have changed his or her voice so that they cannot be identified and scapegoated. So when lockdown first happened, I could say I felt a sense of despair. I felt like I was the only person 
who felt like that. And so it was really isolating. You know, at the time, everybody was panicking about themselves and how it was going to affect their families. And I remember thinking, I felt like shouting into the wind, what is going to happen to these people? You know, people who are stuck with domestic abuse in homes who suffer from that, children with abusive parents, partners with abusive spouses or partners or so on. And I just felt like nobody was thinking about that. Children separated families also, you know, that was a situation I was in, sharing custody of my son. Nothing felt like it had been thought through. So it just felt really frustrating. And for working in and around government and policy for about 17 years, any policy that's made on the hoof is usually always bad. So you could already see what the consequences were. I mean, at work, there was no way of challenging the hypothesis that we were going to be overwhelmed and swamped. And the other thing was that within, I wasn't working directly on the COVID response. So there were there were pockets of people who were working on trying to maintain other services, mainly for cancer patients and so on. There was quite a bit of thought had gone into how those services could be maintained. But I think what nobody realised, what nobody foresaw, was that referrals would just stop. Well, they didn't stop exactly, but they reduced to about 30% of their normal level. So and that was something we discovered within about two weeks of the first lockdown happening. So by the end of the week, beginning the 30th of March, there was already a massive reduction in people coming forward for cancer referrals. So that was all quite worrying. Also, in terms of the actual damage, the contribution that different agencies made to the extent of that damage. So, for example, I you know I feel like the NHS has a responsibility to advocate for all its patients, not just the potential COVID ones. It had that responsibility at the time. So we knew, for instance, the okay. So let's say the first lockdown may have been slightly justified because nobody really knew what was happening. By the time we get to October 2020, we already knew that there was a growing backlog of people not coming forward for cancer treatment, not starting cancer treatment, and that backlog was growing. We could see it even in the limited amount of monthly data that we had from the start of the lockdown to that point. Within four months, we you know we had about four months worth of data at that point we could see. And that it was growing in other specialties where people we, we knew people had been waiting, how many more people were waiting over a year for treatment. That was growing at an alarming rate. So I feel at that point, the NHS leadership should have been speaking up for those patients as well as the COVID patients. So obviously we knew that there was probably a wave of COVID coming, but we also knew that there was this growing backlog. And where was the voice of people speaking up for those patients, trying to discourage further lockdowns? It felt like there's a level of complicity within the NHS in creating the difficulties that they currently find themselves in. And that has not been acknowledged. So the inability to accept that responsibility that we see amongst politicians and that, you know, they all, everything's always, there's a reason or there's a spin answer. That also applies to the NHS. Nobody said, hang on a minute, we did take our eye off the ball and this is what we're going to do about it. I hope very much they will judge it as a catastrophe, failure of governance and leadership, failure to put in any kind of robust thought about the benefits and the costs of any policy that needs to be done that has to happen in order for good policy to be made i do wonder how we'll eventually judge what the impact is on the structure and governance of the nhs 
I mean, I think many of us within the NHS, it's difficult to get your voice heard above the sort of this assumption of consensus that we all agree that everything is the way it should be. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but it's very difficult to find other people who agree with you. So I hope we might look back at the lockdowns as being a catalyst to a really meaningful change in the structure and the organisation of the NHS. I mean, that wouldn't bring back or alleviate the impact of the current situation on, on lots of people that's having and continues to have. But I do think that nationally, the blinkers have started to come off when it comes to the sort of like NHS worship that we've had. And that's probably due to lockdown. So it could be a benefit if it leads to a meaningful change in the way the NHS is organised. I have to say, Alison, George has played such a huge role in the success of Planet Normal since we began. He or she has shown enormous professional and moral courage in feeding us data, often responding directly to requests from expert Planet Normal listeners, countering often the official narrative, which we knew even before the lockdown files, but now we clearly know the official narrative that was often quite deliberately skewed in order to maintain that climate of fear. I asked George recently, Liam, if the NHS had indeed been in danger of being overwhelmed, as we were constantly told. And George said that in Christmas 2020, there were fewer pressures on the NHS than there were in the winter of 2019. So think about that. And that will be one of the major legacies the fact that so many cancer referrals, so many other non-COVID procedures were cancelled, the implications of that, the human and medical implications of that, the psychological implications of that are simply unfathomable. And of course, lots of other countries didn't cancel all non-COVID procedures the way that we did. Now, Sir Graham Brady first appeared on Planet Normal in January 2021. The MP for Orchingham and Sale West is, of course, chair of the 1922 Committee of Backbench MPs. Now, given that the Labour frontbench was, if anything, even more consistently gung-ho for lockdown than the government, it did fall to the 1922 Committee to provide parliamentary opposition. And Sir Graham and many of his colleagues were deeply shocked at the government power grab which lockdown represented And the COVID recovery group of MPs did much to challenge that state overreach, bringing lockdown to an end. So again, we asked Sir Graham Brady those three planet normal questions. How did you feel in March 2020 when lockdown was announced? Has the collateral damage been sufficiently recognised? And finally, how will future historians judge the UK's lockdown? Well, I think everybody was a bit shocked by what was happening. But Equally, nobody really understood how serious the virus was. Nobody really had a grip on how deadly it was or how easily it might spread. So I think even though a lot of us felt really quite uneasy about it, uh, we were also prepared to accept that the government felt it had to act uh, very quickly in case this was on a scale of something like Ebola virus, which kills a very large percentage of the people who catch it. You know, I was, I was sort of quite tolerant of the lockdown at the start. What surprised me was that as we learned much more about coronavirus, and within three or four weeks, we knew that it wasn't nearly as dangerous for younger people or people with no pre-existing medical conditions, nothing changed. 
that the extreme lockdown policy was just maintained. It was originally meant to be there for three weeks and it ended up being there for three months and then was brought back again very soon afterwards. I think people are starting to recognize that there were really serious consequences that were always going to follow from an extreme policy like lockdown. Whilst some of us were saying it at the time uh, that there were bound to be these other types of damage caused, I think uh, people were so frightened. And as we know now, messaging was used deliberately by government to make people more anxious in order to try to increase the levels of compliance with lockdown restrictions. People were so frightened they were better go along with almost anything. And then they started to ask for more restrictions to be placed, if not on their own lives, then on the lives of all of their neighbours. But I think now as time is passing, people are starting to think more critically about it. They're getting a little bit of the international and academic evidence as well. We had the Johns Hopkins University study some time ago now, which assessed the overall impact of lockdowns around the world and came to the conclusion, I think, that they probably had reduced the number of COVID deaths by 0.1%. Now, uh, once you get to that kind of position and understand that the benefit, if you like, of lockdowns was tiny, it's not difficult to reach the very clear conclusion that far more people are going to die or be very seriously ill as a result of the lockdowns than were potentially saved by those lockdowns. So uh, I think we we still need to go quite a long way for the whole population to understand that evidence, to be aware of it. I think a lot of the big broadcasting media hasn't really put that message across. I think quite a lot of people are probably a little bit embarrassed about the way in which they were complicit in supporting uh, those lockdown policies at the time. So I suspect it'll be some years before we really have a properly balanced view. But thank God for Sweden, thank God for Florida and those places around the world, very few in number, which took a more balanced, more rational approach. Most of the world joined in the madness. And if we didn't have those other countries or states as a measure, then it would be far harder to demonstrate that what was done was not only ineffective, uh, but really very damaging. I think it, it has to be said that the UK was far from alone. Britain locked down, but around the world, most countries joined in with these completely untried and tested lockdown policies. In previous pandemics, it's been accepted as a reasonable measure to try to restrict the movement of people who are known or reasonably expected uh, to be infected. This is the first time that countries around the world have decided to lock down whole populations. And so I think historians will have to look globally what happened. I don't think the British government will be judged significantly more harshly than most others around the world. But looking at those countries which had the steadiness and resolve to hold their nerve, uh, thinking especially of, of Sweden, I think there will certainly be a historical judgment that says some countries, a very few, had the courage and the common sense to do it right most tragically didn't. And that will have very serious consequences for very large numbers of people around the world for decades to come. Well, Liam, Sir Graham Brady, 
one of the most sort of honest voices during a time when Parliament <laughs> basically was absent from the scene. I know it's something that Graham feels very keenly as a great parliamentarian. He has recently announced that he will be stepping down before the next election. And he said something absolutely marvellous to me, Liam, when I said we'd be very sorry to lose him from Parliament. He said, to borrow what Tony Benn said, I'm leaving Parliament, but I may now go into politics. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope that this very sane, eloquent and forthright voice will continue to speak loudly because God knows he was one of the few politicians who had something to say about lockdown. I think as you wrote at the time, Alison, when Boris Johnson did finally drum up the courage to not impose full-scale lockdown in Christmas 2021, it wasn't that he held his nerve, it was that he had his nerve held for him. And it was by the COVID recovery group of backbench MPs with the likes of Sir Graham Brady and indeed the current Transport Secretary, Mark Harper, and others who were absolutely adamant. And there were brickbats flying everywhere, but they were adamant that lockdown was, at that point, clearly counterproductive to the health, psychological, and all kinds of other outcomes in terms of the broader population. War in Ukraine is reshaping our world. For the past 12 months, the Telegraph's team of experts in London and correspondents on the ground have been analysing Putin's invasion of Ukraine every weekday on the Ukraine The Latest podcast. With over 24 million listens, Ukraine The Latest is the go-to source for up-to-date analysis on the war from every angle. Military, humanitarian, political, economic, historical, just to name a few. Each episode, we unpack the past 24 hours of the conflict, as well as regularly being joined by our own on-the-ground correspondents and guests who take us into their own experience of the war. Search for Ukraine The Latest in the same place you're listening to this podcast and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Now on to our next lockdown hero, Professor Pat Price first appeared on Planet Normal in August 2022. Pat is an internationally renowned clinical oncologist, the chair of Radiotherapy UK. During lockdown, Pat Price became increasingly alarmed at the shutting down of treatment for cancer patients as the NHS became to some extent a COVID-only service. Pat Price co-founded the Catch Up With Cancer campaign and she continues to be one of the most impassioned voices speaking up for the need to urgently address the backlog and the vast damage lockdown did to tens of thousands of sick people, many of whom are tragically now dead or dying. How did Pat feel in those very early weeks of the first lockdown? Well, gosh, the situation in cancer was just dire. It's not so much the lockdown itself, but the NHS response to this. Within the first couple of days, the phone started ringing. Cancer patients were literally being phoned to have their cancer operations stopped and cancelled, and there was no plan. And so they were asking us what to do. One phone back the hospital and was literally told to phone round a few private hospitals and see whether anybody could help. An absolute disaster. Then you suddenly realised that there was no plan for cancer. 
all this COVID planning, all these other things, nothing for cancer. And it was then such a massive problem. People kept phoning and phoning and you realised it was a complete mess. I tell you, honestly, some nights I would cry in bed thinking, I just cannot believe people are being left by this. So then we thought, right, we've got to do something about it. First letter written to Matt Hancock, the 1st of April, 2020. And then what's happened since? Well, it's just been a massive backlog. And then we thought, right, we've got to start this catch up with cancer campaign. And we have been going at it. Now it's three years. And actually, the situation's worse. It's not so much it hasn't been recognised, but they're in total denial and the situation is worse. Cancer delays in the three years will be nearly 160,000 people not reaching the target for being treated on time. We've lost 35,000 patients completely out of the cancer pathway. And the cancer data, which was out this month, is just getting worse. It's the worst since 2009. So now 50% of people are missing the cancer waiting times. And we know for every four weeks delay, that can be a 10% increase in death rate. So. The NHS, what's their response? They tell us it's okay. And now with the WHO advice being every country should have a cancer plan, what do we do? We say we won't have a cancer plan. It is horrible and unbelievable this can be going on. They had a target for recovering from the cancer problem by March 21. Then now the target is March 24. So that's four years just to recover from the damage that's been done to cancer in COVID. And I'm not sure they'll meet that target anyway. This is an absolute disaster. We can't avoid a pandemic, but we could have avoided this cancer catastrophe. I think some bits were good. I think some people will judge some of it. We did very well. We did very well with the vaccines. But we will also judge some things as very poor. We went into COVID with the worst survival figures in the Western world. And due to our lack of capacity, we have just plummeted in our survival. We will be plummeting in our survival rates now. Now, my concern is that we're in denial. We've not learned from this. What we learned from COVID is how to do things better. That vaccine programme, cast away bureaucracy, get it done, whatever you need to do. We could do that with cancer, but we don't learn. We're in denial. We're not even using the technologies like radiotherapy, my own area. There is so much now that can be done. But no, we just carry on doing the same thing. So we will look back and see that we ignored cancer at our detriment and we will probably end up losing more people unavoidably to cancer than we would have done in the COVID pandemic. It may be 10 years till we recover and we seem to have lost an ambition, lost cancer as a priority, too difficult to deal with pile. It's a disaster. One in two people in the UK are going to get cancer. By 2040, there will be 500,000 people a year with cancer, the biggest killer in the UK, and we can no longer deal with it. It's a disaster. I'm, oh, I've gone through every emotion, sad, angry, furious. The worst emotion is that I'm terribly sad for the patients, but I'm furious that nobody's doing anything. Bad things happen when good men do nothing. Powerful stuff there from Pat Price, Alison one of many medics who we brought to bear on Planet Normal. As early as June 2020, Carol Sikora, the cancer specialist, appeared on Planet yeah. Normal. Professor Gordon Wishart, another leading oncologist in September 2021. We had the anonymous nurse 
from the NHS we called Holly in July 2020. We had the anonymous GP Claire in November 2020. I think one of the major themes of Planet Normal has been the collateral damage on the NHS itself. And we have, haven't we, developed some deep contacts within the NHS who have bravely spoken out, sometimes, of course, having to speak out anonymously. Yes, Dr. Claire emailed us this week, Liam, saying so much for saving the NHS. It's actually now in a state of frank collapse. And I think we heard in the voice there of Pat Price absolute incredulity that the government is in denial that tens of thousands of British people are going to die unnecessarily because they will not address the elephant in the room. I don't know what listeners feel. I find it profoundly shaming and shocking. I really do. Moving on to the ramifications of lockdown for the economy. Luke Johnson is the serial entrepreneur behind Pizza Express and the brilliant Gales Bakery. Luke first appeared on Planet Normal in July 2020, railing against the damage being done to the economy during lockdown, warning that the sharp downturn itself would cost lives, pointing to economic and corporate dangers, which back then few other business leaders dared to highlight. Now, Luke's father, the great journalist and historian Paul Johnson, died earlier this year, and it was uplifting to see Paul's blazing impatience with lies and cant living on so fiercely in his son. So what were Luke Johnson's thoughts back in March 2020? I think initially I was disbelieving because it seemed such a mad thing to do, to shut down the whole of society for a disease that clearly we knew very early 2020 was only really dangerous for the elderly and the sick and to close businesses, schools, everything, more or less, lock people in their homes virtually, which has never been proven to make any difference in terms of the real spread of the disease. It seemed to me a terrible mistake. Unfortunately, When people focus on the disease, they use this single measure of deaths. Whereas when you look at all the different harms it caused around society, it's a huge range and many of them are longer term. So, for example, I would argue that the current instability economically is at least in part directly attributable to shutting down the world economy for two years. That meant production fell. Meantime, governments like ours dished out, well, in our case, 400 billion of borrowings and spending, which caused huge inflation. That led governments to, in due course, too late, in fact, raise interest rates, which have now led to instability in our banks. And so it goes. And essentially, if you cut off productive activity, as we did for the two years 2020 and 2021, even into 2022, the unintended consequences are inevitably enormous. And so businesses going bust, people losing their jobs, taxes having to increase to pay the bills, record rates of people not in in the workforce. All these harms are direct or indirect consequences, a unscientific, extreme measure which has never been carried out before of lockdowns. Well, I think we've made catastrophic errors. I think for a start, the relentless propaganda from the government scaring 
the nation witless was probably more affected than in any other country, which is why, you know, there is so much exaggerated fear of the disease, treating this disease as if it's the only risk to life, which is clearly madness. There was no cost-benefit analysis, despite all our sophisticated modern tools. We didn't really even think for a second as to what all the other harms would be. And lockdown was a blunt instrument of the worst kind. There were imaginary short-term gains from doing this and terrible long-term damage. And I think society will judge public health experts and politicians and those who carried out this inhumane policy very harshly, and so they should. I have to say, Alison, I agree profoundly with what Luke Johnson said. Remember when we started Planet Normal and we were worried about the impact on our time we both convinced each other, didn't we, that Planet Normal would help us with our main gig, you know, with our, our column writing for The Telegraph. Mm. I know you feel that your writing has been enhanced by Planet Normal, by the conversations we have, by the listener emails we get, by the input of the guests that we invite on Planet Normal. And I felt that even though I write very much an economics and business column. And I think Luke Johnson is on the money to coin a phrase when he talks about a catastrophic policy error. This was lockdown, the biggest domestic policy error, in my view, since the war. And just because other countries were doing it doesn't make it less forgivable, in my view. We created, or the Bank of England created, more money in the first year after lockdown than we did during the previous 10 years after the global financial crisis. And during that 10 years, the extent to which the Bank of England created money was pretty much historically unprecedented. So I do think we've stored up a huge number of problems, economic collateral damage, which has yet to be fully expressed. Well, people talk now, don't they, Liam, about this cost of living crisis, but I think we prefer to call it the cost of lockdown crisis. We had your mate, Andrew Bailey, governor of the Bank of England. If only Halligan had been the governor of the Bank of England, it wouldn't have been um, throwing money from the roof of that august institution coming up with some latest reason behind inflation. And you just thought, as Pat Price said, they are still totally in denial. But I just want to pay quick tribute to my co-pilot because you said our journalism's improved. I think, honestly, I've always been, you know me, arty-farty, prevaricating, churning out peerless prose. But for the last three years, I've had Halligan saying... <laughs> get a great woman, just write something, get something down, it will be fine. And I've become much more of that mentality. And I think I've also, thanks to you, become more analytical, less scared of numbers, thinking that I must, in order to master the truth about our situation, get to grips with these numbers so they become my friends, not my fearful enemy. So thank you, darling. You've been absolutely wonderful. Amazing what you can do with a D in <laughs> O-level maths. Excuse me, I've just paid touching tribute to you and you come in and just <laughs> rubbish my qualifications. <laughs> From one great mind to another, Jonathan Sumption is a former Supreme Court judge and one of the UK's foremost legal experts. Yet, despite his impeccable establishment credentials, he was an early critic of lockdown. Since appearing on Planet Normal in September 2020, Lord Sumption has made frequent telling interventions. And following the Telegraph's exposure of the lockdown files featuring those ministerial lockdown era WhatsApp messages, Lord Sumption's railed against what he describes as the narcissism, superficiality and hypocrisy of UK government during that period. 
So how did Lord Sumption feel back in March 2020 when Boris Johnson told us to stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives? Well, I was astonished by what he went on to say, which is that we couldn't leave our homes. I was astonished for a number of reasons. First of all, we'd had a pandemic plan since 2011, revised on at least one occasion. And the object of that plan was to allow normal life to continue as far as possible. They seemed to have jettisoned 15 years of careful planning for just this kind of event. I was astonished also because a month earlier, or six weeks earlier, the Centre for Disease Control in Europe had published the 28 countries' pandemic plans, and not one of them suggested that a lockdown was even on the cards. We then had Professor Ferguson's projections, which had the obvious flaw that they projected what would happen if we did absolutely nothing at all to protect ourselves against infection. That did not seem to be a serious hypothesis. So it seemed to me that what was being announced was quite extraordinary, even if one assumes the kind of authoritarian tradition which existed in Italy, Spain and France, who had already gone into lockdown. This country has a powerful liberal tradition from which we benefited a great deal, which seems to have been jettisoned overnight. I fear it hasn't. The polling evidence suggests that although the number of people who think that lockdown was a mistake has increased significantly since the pandemic, it's still a minority, about a quarter against three quarters. I think the reason for this is, first of all, it's very difficult for those actually responsible for lockdowns to admit error. It's very difficult to admit that you have made a mistake if you have taken a hammer to our economy, to our educational system, and even to our health service. So I'm not at all surprised uh, that those responsible have not been prepared to revisit their decision and consider whether it was really the right thing to do. As far as the public are concerned, the public was frightened at the time, partly by government messaging, and that, I think, is a large part of the explanation. They're not interested in studying the detailed facts. But I fear that a major factor is the politicization of this whole issue. It became a right-wing equals no lockdown and a left-wing equals lockdown issue. And that's the main reason why the young supported it and apparently uh, still do. I think this is a great tragedy because the economic and social consequences and the epidemiological consequences of the government's countermeasures have absolutely nothing to do with the traditional divisions between left and right. And there are many responsible epidemiologists who deplore what the government did and who are definitely on the left and not on the right. But the politicization has, I fear, molded the reaction to those who point out, as they increasingly do, that lockdown has had catastrophic consequences and very few benefits. I delivered a lecture in October 2020, in which I said that future historians would regard it as a monument of public hysteria and governmental folly. I believe that that judgment remains correct. I think it may take forever for it to become a mainstream view, but I'm not entirely pessimistic for this reason. I think that although those responsible will not admit error, they won't actually repeat it. I think they know perfectly well that they made a mistake, even if it's difficult for them to say so publicly. And I think that it will be a long time before anybody seriously proposes that we should go through this ordeal again. Pretty astonishing stuff there from Jonathan Sumption. It's worth saying that we've also recorded a full-length interview with Jonathan Sumption 
and he will be our Distinguished Planet Normal guest next week, continuing his reflections on lockdown. He really has emerged from being very well-known, high-profile QC, now KC, into being a major player in terms of moulding opinion, as he says, when it comes to lockdown, really providing a space for people who are concerned about lockdown to align themselves with people of impeccable intellect and respectability. Yes, people like him, brain the size of a planet normal, Lord Sumption, and of course, Professor Shanetra Gupta, so reviled, bless her, one of our most distinguished epidemiologists. And as Jonathan Sumption said to you, Liam, Shanetra, very much sort of of the international left very concerned about the world's poor, very concerned about the victims of domestic abuse and children. And it's terribly sad that it became you were on the right if you didn't think masks were very good and you wore masks if you were on the left. It became very tribal and that was a huge pity in terms of the level of debate. I do think that we have to now start assembling the historical record. And I hope, Liam, that what we've done today with this tribute to some of our great lockdown heroes is begin that process of laying down the thoughts of these wonderfully brave and clever people who came to speak to us on Planet Normal. And now it's time for our listener emails, the messages you send to planetnormal at telegraph.co.uk. Huge postbag this week, co-pilot reacting to our Anders Tegnell interview and also more generally to the third anniversary of lockdown. Elizabeth says, nothing special to report, dear Alison and Liam. Just heartfelt thanks on this anniversary occasion for all you did and risked to help the poor, abused population of this once great country. And you did it with humour and panache, which lifted our spirits so much in the darkest days. Thank you for that, Elizabeth. When I read that, I had tears in my eyes. I like that word, panache. Is that another one of those naff 70s (laughs) scents like Charlie by Londrick and Just Musk and all the rest of it? And the other one, high karate. Do you remember high karate? <laughs> Be careful how you use it. I bet you wore brute, didn't you, when you're taking those four. girls out? I didn't wear brute. <laughs> the great smell of. <laughs> now, on to Ian. Dear Alison and Liam, there are many COVID heroes in this world, including both of you, but Anders Tegnell is the greatest hero of them all. Lots of people did stand up for a rational and proportionate response to COVID. Many scientists spoke of the reality of the effects of the virus and the risks of the medical and non-medical interventions. And in doing this, many of these people risked their professional reputations, their careers, their livelihoods. Unfortunately, there were very few mainstream media journalists in this cohort. But Tegnell is a hero on another level. His contribution was not just speaking out or treating individuals. He took the decisions and responsibility to best protect a whole nation, despite the world powers that be castigating him and willing him to fail. The immediate global hostile response to Sweden was extremely telling, an early sign that all was not as we were being told. Western governments were desperate for Sweden to abandon their non-totalitarian COVID response. We could read their minds. Hey, these guys could really show us up. And so they did. And the next time the tyrants try to lock us down, at least they will have to do so in the knowledge that, thanks to Sweden, we have evidence that there is a better way. 
to actually find myself last week in the presence of the voice and wisdom and sensibility of Anders Tegnell was special. Thank you, Ian. This is from Brian. I just listened to the podcast with Anders Tegno on a training run. My anger at the madness of lockdown and the media gave me energy. <laughs> <laughs> and Grant, we would all have fared so much better had it not been for Professor Neil Ferguson and his modelling. Loved by the media, his predictions were way off the mark, yet rammed down our throats. Anyone who tried to disagree was accused of having blood on their hands. And Martin said, actually, Ferguson created models, not predictions. Sadly, it was the scientific illiteracy of our establishment that meant the worst case of the models were consistently treated like predictions. Of course, Professor Neil Ferguson isn't here and he would, I'm sure, refute those characterizations of his work. And this is from Dick. Shinetra Gupta could have done for the UK what Anders Tegnell did for Sweden. The Professor of Epidemiology at Oxford should have been our top advisor. She was basically cancelled by the howling mob in the media. And then finally from me, Alison, there's Nick. I remember the press conference Chris Whitty and Boris held explaining their pandemic plan, including herd immunity. I thought at the time, I'm pleased the British government isn't panicking like the others. Well, that lasted five minutes before the great ignorant masses wound up by the media started screaming to be locked down. We deserve the mess that we're in. Crikey. And this is a lovely one from Linda. Dear Alison and Liam, what I found very inspiring in your interview with such an eminent and brave man was his genuine modesty. Moving on from the saddest and tragic things that happened over COVID, and indeed, I also lost a dear friend. I thought I'd write something to bring a cheerful note for you to end these important discussions. Last New Year's Eve, most of my close family, 18 of us, got together for a party to celebrate what we'd missed over lockdown. My daughter had decorated the house with signs saying, Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy 25th Anniversary, Happy 50th Birthday, Happy 21st, Happy 18th, Happy Mothering Sunday, Happy Graduation Day, (laughs) among many other Miss Specials. We did have a wonderful time. Thanks again to all of you who produced the fantastic Planet Normal. That's a really inspiring idea, Linda. And just tacked on the end from Michael, responding again to Anders Tegnell, we had more freedom here in Switzerland too. Not quite Sweden, though we did keep our schools open. We could go out as often as we wanted. Children played outside together. I thank my lucky stars that our children were not in British schools, never again to lockdown UK. And Albert says, Anders Tegnell, a lion surrounded by the world's nodding donkeys. (laughs) Absolutely well said, Albert. And so that's it from planet normal for another very special week actually i hope you've enjoyed this special as we leave our sanctuary of sweet reason our flying refuge of reason views email of the week co-pilot your choice i think email of the week comes from brian who was empowered during his training run by (laughs) listening to planet normal planet normal what spinach was to popeye planet normal is to the thinking classes of the uk Absolutely. If you enjoy Planet Normal, you jolly well should. After all the work we've put into this episode, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It does help others to find the podcast so this fantastic Planet Normal community can grow. And as we speed away from our beloved Planet Normal and the madness of planet Earth comes back into view, a huge thanks for all their work to producers Isabel Bouchard, Elliot Lampett and Louisa Well, stay safe and in touch with us and with each other. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.